Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. It's time for another installment of Were They Great, where we explore the reigns of rulers who were given the title The Great in order to determine if they really deserved that honor. In this installment, we're examining the reign of another Russian imperial leader who was said to completely reform her nation during the time period known as the Enlightenment. It's time to talk about Catherine II of Russia, aka Catherine the Great. She ruled the Russian Empire from 1762 to 1796. Like Peter the Great half a century before her, she was a pioneer of the Russian Enlightenment movement. But while Peter's Enlightenment was a move to make Russia more like its Western European neighbors, Catherine's reign would see Russia attempt to fully embrace what the Enlightenment was really all about. Catherine was originally a political outsider in Russia. She was the wife of Peter the Great's grandson, Peter III. Her husband was such an unpopular leader due to his absolute love affair with the Kingdom of Prussia, who Russia was at war with around this time by the way, that Catherine deposed him and took over as Empress only several months after Peter had been crowned Emperor. Ironically enough, Catherine was from Prussia too. Also, hey, if you only know Catherine the Great through the TV show The Great, boy is this gonna be a bit different for you. Granted, that show never marketed itself as a true history. Also, it sucks that it ended. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. But that's enough talk of TV, it's history time. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the Russian Empire in the late 18th century in Catherine II of Russia. Was she great? <laughs> Okay, we've covered the Enlightenment a couple times on this show, both times I believe in previous Were They Great episodes. But in case you haven't listened to either of those, let's do a very quick rundown of the era. The Enlightenment has some muddy origins. Some claim it started when French polymath Descartes published his work Discourse on the Method, his famous book that features the phrase, I think, therefore, I am. It lasted a bit over a century from the mid-1600s to the late 1700s beginning with either Descartes, Isaac Newton, or some other arbitrary beginning, and usually said to have ended with the French Revolution. It was a departure from the deeply religious and artistic world of the Renaissance in a move to a more secular world of science and philosophy. It was also a time period where a lot of nations were either getting rid of their monarchies, or the monarchies of nations were trying to get much more in touch with treating their subjects nicely. Basically, God was mostly out and humanity was in. Now let's talk about this era in Russia. If you didn't listen to the episode I did over Peter the Great, I'll do the quickest of summaries again. He was the first emperor of Russia, originally having been the Tsar, which was closer to a king. Not that there's actually a big heap of difference between kings and emperors. He is most well known for westernizing Russia. You see, Russia had once been under the control of the Mongolian Empire. Because of this, it was actually somewhat eastern compared to other European states. In Peter's eyes, this made Russia somewhat backwards and a lesser nation. He went about changing his nation to more resemble the likes of Austria, France, and Britain. 
Some major changes included completely changing the Russian calendar to match that of Western Europe as well as changes to the bureaucracy of the Russian government. Minor changes included trying to get more men to shave their beards in favor of mustaches. He also ordered the founding and construction of the city of St. Petersburg. Overall, he did a pretty decent job even if St. Petersburg is built on a foundation of dead laborers. So let's now talk about Russia post-Peter. In a single sentence, every female ruler after Peter was usually very good and every male leader was either a literal child or just bad. Most times, both. Immediately after Peter's death, his wife Catherine took the throne as Catherine I. She continued on with Peter's westernization efforts but was heavily criticized for her choice of companions. Criticized being a bit of the wrong word choice here because it depends on who you asked in Russia. She strongly favored the new money nobility who rose to power during her husband's reign. She continued to expand Russia's borders, including expanding into modern-day Alaska and North America. She only ruled for two years before dying. After Catherine came Peter II. He was the grandson of Peter through his other wife Eudoxia. Peter came to power when he was only 11 years old, so the early bit of his reign was under the command of other nobility, specifically one of Catherine's supporters, Alexander Menshikov. Well, young Peter eventually had Menshikov taken out of power in a fit of childhood rage and tried to fully assume the role of emperor, still at 11 years old. This made for a disjointed government, especially as Peter II didn't really want to do much in the way of ruling, he just wanted to be emperor. He mostly made the lives of serfs more difficult and briefly moved the imperial capital from St. Petersburg back to Moscow. He died at the age of 14 from smallpox. Since Peter had been 14 and childless, the Royal Privy Council decided to elect the daughter of Peter the Great's half-brother Ivan. This woman was Empress Anna. Like Catherine I, she too sought to continue the westernization of Russia as Peter the Great had done. However, she was said to be unnecessarily cruel to the people of Russia and greatly preferred giving government roles to people from the German states rather than the nobility of Russia. Well, she moved the capital back to St. Petersburg and continued funding the advancement of science throughout her empire, Anna continued creating laws that tightened down on the lower classes and engaged in warfare against the Ottoman Empire that was very costly for Russia. Anna was succeeded by her grandnephew Ivan, Emperor Ivan VI, in order to secure the line of Anna's family and disregard the more direct line of Peter the Great. He was only a few months old when his reign began, so the original regent of his reign was to be one of Anna's lovers. Ivan's parents saw that quickly dismissed. However, only a little after a year into Ivan's reign, he was deposed in a coup led by the only surviving daughter of Peter the Great, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was very popular in Russia during her reign. She never had anyone put to death and continued with many building projects throughout the empire. Honestly, I don't know why she isn't called Elizabeth the Great due to how beloved she was. During her reign, Russia was able to get a pretty decent foothold in Europe during the Seven Years' War. She put Frederick the Great in a rough position, and if you listen to my episode over Frederick, then you know that's pretty impressive. 
Her heir was Peter III of Russia, Elizabeth's nephew and grandson of Peter the Great. Though some of the laws Peter enacted in his short reign were popular and moved towards furthering Russia in the Age of Enlightenment, his greatest downfall came in that he wasn't Russian enough. It's believed that Peter might not have even been able to speak Russian. As I said earlier, Peter married a Prussian princess named Sophie of Anhalt-Zerbst, who was given the name Catherine by Empress Elizabeth. Catherine loved Russia more than Peter and sought to put an end to Peter's semi-disastrous reign. In July of 1762, just several months after her husband took the throne, Catherine overthrew him, having herself sat in his place as Catherine II of Russia. Most of the monarchs of Europe during her lifetime, Catherine saw it as her sovereign duty to expand the borders of her nation. Unfortunately, most of the land in any direction Catherine looked was occupied by some other nation, whether it was Sweden, Poland, Lithuania, that's Poland and Lithuania hyphenated by the way, Austria, and the Ottoman Empire. Because Catherine spent about a third of her reign at war with the Ottomans, let's take a look at how things went on that front first. Russia and the Ottomans had been in a series of on and off wars for about two centuries by this point in history. Around the time Catherine was crowned, the Ottomans controlled much of the northern Middle East, the Levant, northern Africa, Greece, most of the Balkans, and basically the entirety of the border of the Black Sea. Catherine's first war with the Ottomans began in 1768. Prussia was just coming out of the Seven Years' War and was not in the best of shape. On top of this, they were fighting against a rebellion in Poland, though we'll get into that later. Well, when Polish dissidents attempted to flee the conflict by crossing borders into the Ottoman Empire, some of the Russian troops followed them. The Russian troops, in attempting to stop the Polish, brought hell to the city of Balta, located in modern-day Ukraine, but back then firmly in Ottoman territory. The Ottoman Sultan viewed this attack as a direct invasion and declared war on the Russian Empire. Despite the fact that they began in a slightly uncomfortable position, this war would end in an overall decisive victory for Russia. And considering this was early enough in Catherine's reign, it very much placed her on the map as a powerful leader in the European theater. However, this meant that the other major powers of Europe had been keeping an eye on the entire situation since the beginning. Everyone in Central and Eastern Europe were constantly wary of Russia's expansionist policies that had been around since Peter the Great. While Russia would end up gaining a massive amount of land from the Ottomans, this effort was also greatly curtailed by the intervention of powers like the Habsburgs in Austria-Hungary. Russia's biggest gain was probably the Crimean Peninsula. Initially, they didn't get this as part of the peace treaty in 1774. Crimea was controlled by the Crimean Khanate. But it became dependent on Russia's power and soon fell under its control about a decade later. Russia also gained full access to the Black Sea, which would greatly expand its maritime presence. The Ottomans would once again look to wage war against Catherine in 1787, with the main goal of regaining the land they had lost to Russia in the previous war, especially the Crimean Peninsula. 
Once again, the war went disastrously for the Ottomans and Russia would gain even more land, mainly in southern Ukraine. In order to solidify Russia control in the area, Catherine ordered for a Russian port to be built on the Black Sea. This port was the city of Odessa. So overall, Catherine handled the Ottomans very well. And while we're dealing with this south of Russia, we might as well briefly mention Catherine's efforts in the east. Though Russia and Qing Dynasty China never actually went to war with each other, the relationship between the two empires at the time was very tense. The Emperor of China did away with a trade deal that was supposed to keep things peaceful between the two neighbors. Catherine often spoke very poorly of Emperor Gaozong of Qing. But like I said, no war ever broke out. In the 1780s, Catherine looked to get into a trade agreement with the Tokugawa shogunate of Japan considering Russia was getting into the fur trading game in their far eastern regions. However, nothing ever developed between the two nations. So now, let's move back west to see how Russia dealt with the empires of Europe. Catherine's first orders as Empress of Russia was withdrawing from the Seven Years' War. Peter III had mucked things up suddenly when he decided to pull a complete 180 on Russia's war strategy and allied itself with its former enemy Prussia. During this time, Russia was about to set upon a possibly dangerous war by the combined kingdom of Denmark-Norway. On top of that, Peter's pro-Prussia policy almost allowed Frederick the Great to make massive gains in Central Europe, which could topple the entire balance of power on the continent. Catherine, smartly, decided it would be best to completely back out of the war. Now, Frederick the Great no longer had an additional supply of soldiers and Denmark-Norway no longer was threatening to march on St. Petersburg. All in all, it was a pretty good plan. In stepping away from war with the rest of Europe, Catherine took the first step towards the role she wished to put Russia in going forward, the mediator of the European world. Her goal was to put Russia in the forefront of the European theater by getting involved with conflicts and hopefully getting a peaceful resolution before things completely fell into a state of war. Likewise, she hoped to act as a nation that could be seen as a negotiator if two warring states needed to form a peace treaty. Unfortunately, she didn't get to act in this role very much. The only notable peace treaty she helped form was between Prussia and Austria in the War of the Bavarian Succession in 1779. However, a very notable form of mediation, well, more of forced neutrality, Catherine took during her reign was during the American Revolution. When news of the Declaration of Independence reached Catherine's throne room, she took a keen interest in the war. She didn't particularly care if the American colonies were actually free from the UK, but she was interested if their independence could be advantageous for Russia's commercial interests. While the war was raging on, in 1780, Catherine formally called for a league of armed neutrality among the other European nations not involved in the war. Britain had taken great advantage of stopping ships they believed were unlawfully carrying contraband to America. Under Catherine's new alliance, both Britain and the US were denied the ability to search trading vessels from other nations. America quickly acknowledged the agreement, but the UK was less warm to the idea. 
even going as far as declaring war on the Netherlands in order to stop it from joining the League. But overall, the League of Armed Neutrality was a great success for those who wished to engage in trade on the Atlantic Ocean without getting tied up in the American Revolutionary War. However, not all of Catherine's engagements with Europe were brilliant displays of neutrality and mediation. So let's talk about Russia, Prussia, Austria, and Poland. In the 1750s, before she was empress, Catherine met Stanisław Antony Poniatowski, a Polish nobleman. The two became lovers soon afterwards. After Catherine herself became empress, she used her power to get Stanisław elected as king of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Yes, king was an elected position there. Stanislav's pro-Russian sentiments were not taken very well in the Commonwealth, and a series of conflicts and civil wars soon erupted, severely weakening the nation. After Catherine's first war with the Ottomans, Frederick the Great suggested she annex some of Poland instead of the Ottoman Empire in order to quell the fear rising in the Austrian Habsburgs. Again, Poland was weak and, even though Catherine won both her wars against the Empire, the Ottomans losing land presented a much bigger shift in power compared to the former nation losing ground. Considering she actually held significant sway over the Polish throne, Catherine annexed part of Poland for her empire. This was just the first partition of Poland. In 1790, Poland was once again thrown into chaos. A heavily anti-Russian faction in Poland declared war on the Polish government and Russia. Though initially supported by Prussia, the anti-Russian faction soon lost that support and was forced to surrender. In order to make sure things were harshly smoothed out, Prussia and Russia agreed to further partition Poland, leaving only about one-third of the Commonwealth's original territory and population behind. In this partition, Russia received land in modern-day Belarus and western Ukraine. Only a few years later, the rest of the Commonwealth was dissolved in partition between Prussia, Austria, and Russia. Stanislav was dismissed as king. He spent the rest of his life essentially as a theoretical prisoner on the Russian court in St. Petersburg, though he tried his best to represent Polish desires in Catherine's and later his successor's court. Though Catherine's desire was for Russia to be a peaceful guiding hand, sometimes more forceful than simply guiding, it's a bit surprising that most of her involvement with her western neighbors was either outright warfare, I did just skip over an entire war with Sweden, or the total annexation of her supposed allies. It's no wonder that her grandson, the future Emperor Nicholas I, would eventually say that Catherine's foreign policy was completely dishonest to her supposed values. But we've spent enough time talking about Catherine's foreign affairs. How did the people of Russia fare under the Empress's rule? Well, if you weren't a noble during Catherine's reign, you probably had a very rough life. In Europe during this time, you had the peasantry, aka the low-class farmers, and within the peasantry you had the serfs, the lowest of the peasantry who were essentially slaves. The peasants didn't have much in the way of appealing for a better life before Catherine's reign. Well, that didn't change much under Catherine. In fact, the situation actually got worse. 
In order to get nobles on her side, Catherine sold peasants to the nobles she was courting, thereby turning them into serfs. Serfs at this point in Russia were treated worse than they were anywhere else in Europe. Essentially, the only thing a serf's master could not do was kill them. Other than that, Catherine made a new ruling that a serf's master could sentence them to exile in Siberia. In the past, this was a punishment that was only enacted on some of the worst convicts. After all, Siberia was cold and empty. It sucked to be there. You'd probably die. So, unsurprisingly, there were many revolts from the peasantry against Catherine's reign. Within a seven-year span from 1762 to 1769, there were around 50 separate revolts started by the peasantry. This eventually culminated in the event Pugachev's Revolt. Yemelian Pugachev was a Cossack, a person from a semi-nomadic military tribe in Eastern Europe who bore a somewhat passing resemblance to Catherine's former husband, Peter III. Well, Pugachev used that resemblance to pass himself off as the former emperor and led a massive revolt where he promised to depose the false emperor and reinstate himself, where he would then make life for the lower classes much better. The rebellion lasted from 1773 to 1775, when Pugachev was eventually betrayed, arrested, and beheaded. Did Catherine take a look at herself in a moment of introspection and think, hey, maybe all these revolts should mean that I should make life for the serfs better? Nope. In response to all this, Catherine tightened control on the peasantry. However, she did eliminate a few ways you could become a serf, like you could not become a serf again if you were freed by your master. As for the nobles, Catherine desired to perfect the system of a Russian bureaucracy. Russian nobles were freed from compulsory military service, which further put the brunt of it all on the peasantry. She also protected the right of land ownership for the nobility. Considering serfs were essentially part of the land, this further pushed the narrative of nobility owning the lower class. And while at the end of the day Catherine was indeed a monarch and autocrat, she toyed around with the vaguest notion of democracy, though saying that is even stretching it a bit. She created new districts and provinces. The nobles in these new administrative centers elected local marshals of the nobility who could then share grievances and political concerns to Catherine. Like I said, kind of a democracy, but not really, and only for the upper class. However, the nobility actually had less power when it came to getting new laws passed. As a self-styled enlightened despot, Catherine viewed herself as the be-all end-all when it came to legislation. She was the Enlightenment in Russia, meaning essentially that Catherine believed she knew how the people of Russia should be led, what was best for them, and she needed to show them that rather than listen to their ideas. So let's move on to how Catherine thought her people should be living. One of the biggest reasons Catherine was known as the Great was due to her desire to inject a new sense of education and culture into the Russian populace. She set up many new schools throughout her empire, including public schools in towns and higher education in larger cities of Russia. One of her main goals with education was to get more girls and women into the classroom. 
While some of these schools for women were more about teaching manners and other duties expected of women in Russia, Catherine viewed education among women as the key to escaping a morally bankrupt society. The school system the Empress desired was a mixture of different education styles throughout Western Europe. With this, Russians would be able to stand on the same stage of society as the likes of England, France, Sweden, and others who were viewed as much more educated than Russia. On top of that, Catherine was a massive fan of the philosophy movement going on at the time. She was a patron of some of the biggest names in philosophy at the time, including Diderot and Voltaire. Catherine was a massive fan of Voltaire and often wrote to him, and he'd write back to her. When the French government began cracking down on what they perceived as anti-French sentiments from the leg of Diderot, she sent them word and asked them to continue writing in Russia. Besides being a patron of philosophers, Catherine was also a patron of artists. She was a particular fan of Chinese art and ordered the creation of multiple Chinese-style gardens. Many nobles throughout Europe were absolutely crazy for Chinese-style art pieces at this time. The Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, a massive collection of art from all around the world, actually started off as Catherine's personal collection of artistic pieces. Catherine also made a major attempt to make opera a larger part of Russian art culture. Opera first came to Russia in the early 1700s, but Catherine hoped to infuse a new Russian style into the medium. She sent several playwrights out west to have them study opera. Originally, these artists created operas in French and Italian. It wasn't until the 1770s when Russian opera writers started actually putting out operas in the Russian language. Though her artistic and philosophical views skewed fairly worldly, Catherine was truly a fan of Russia and sought to make sure everyone could get to love Russia like she did. This meant things were a bit weird when it came to people of other ethnicities and religions who lived in her empire. Russians were Slavic people who practiced Eastern Orthodox Christianity. What about Catholics, Jews, and Muslims? Well, Catholics were kinda just allowed to exist. The Pope really wasn't allowed to intervene in their daily lives, but Catherine did appoint an archbishop for Catholics in her nation. And despite waging two wars against the major Muslim power of the era, Catherine actually sought to make Russia a place where Muslims were free to live in peace. Unfortunately, there was a weird bit where she tried to persuade some Muslims to convert to orthodoxy by offering them serfs. Catherine pushed for religious tolerance with Muslims, allowing them to build mosques in Russia even when others in the country were looking to see the Muslim population shoved to the side. Unfortunately, Judaism was not given the same level of tolerance as Islam. Jews were a very small minority in the empire before the first partition of Poland, the latter nation having a much more mixed religious population. Almost immediately, Jews were treated like a different group altogether. They were really only allowed to live in one area, a region in the far west of the empire called the Pale of Settlement. Taxes were also heavily imposed on Jews, where they paid basically double what anyone else would have to pay. The final nail in the coffin for Jews in Catherine's Russia was in 1785, when she officially declared all Jews in Russia, even if they had been born there, were foreigners. So much for the rights of the people.
Catherine's rule was one that was fairly ironic in a bit of a dark sense of the term. She hoped to bring about an age of enlightenment in Russia. She supposedly loved the country so much that she wanted it to be the best Russia it could be. Unfortunately, Catherine's views of what an enlightened Russia could be did not stretch very far beyond the walls of her own palace. In fact, it really only stretched to those who were called her favorites. What that term actually means is mostly the men she was sleeping with. And God forbid if you stopped being one of her favorites. You could go from general of the military to basically a nobody. Or worse. That aside, let's get into the judgment phase of this episode of Were They Great? Catherine's reign saw a dramatic change to the way Russia existed, both with local changes and on a global scale. The country took in so much new land, including colonies in North America. When conquering new territories, you bring in a bunch of new people. Some of these people, such as the Muslim population, were treated fairly well for that day and age. Others were not as lucky. And that hurts even more considering that the general populace of Russia was already struggling under Catherine's reign. Like I said before, dozens of peasant revolts occurred in just the first few years of her reign alone. But like the phrase, the rich get richer, life for the nobility of Russia was pretty good. They were able to get better access to the arts and culture of their western neighbors. They were given much more freedom and, in a sense, more power. It's unsurprising that they never led a revolt against Catherine. And finally, her ideals for Russia's position in the world were kind of untenable. Despite hoping to be the great arbitrator, Catherine was actually engrossed in war for a pretty hefty chunk of her rule. She only really mediated one war, and her greatest claim to fame on the global front was a massive declaration of neutrality in the American Revolution. Despite that, she garnered a great deal of respect from her neighbors. It was a level of respect that basically allowed Russia to play along with the rest of Europe up through the modern day. At the end of the day, this series isn't about whether or not someone was just a good person. Hey, maybe Catherine actually did treat people nicely on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if we were just judging her on how the people felt about Catherine during her rule, she would actually be doing pretty poorly. A ruler really should be judged against how the people within their nation are actually faring. There's a reason Herod the Great scored so poorly, you know, besides the fact that he just didn't do a whole lot that was great, and that's because everyone hated him by the end. But Catherine's legacy is much more complicated. Peter the Great started getting the train moving on transforming Russia into a nation that is more recognizable to a modern-day audience. Most of the rulers between him and Catherine continued that movement. So how powerful of a pull does Catherine really have? Empress Elizabeth was probably a much kinder ruler, but she's not Elizabeth the Great. Peter III nearly led his nation into war against all of its allies, yet he's not Peter the Terrible. Catherine's tenure on the Russian imperial throne was an experiment. A test of what enlightened despotism might look like in a massive, diverse nation that was very quickly playing catch-up on a few centuries of European history. Was it a successful experiment? Eh. 
So with all that aside, I think Catherine is kind of the middle of the road for were they great. You take the bad with the good. So Catherine II of Russia gets a C on the were they great grading scale. So yeah, that was the reign of Catherine the Great in a nutshell. She was very much a powerful figure in her time. I don't even really want to add the qualifier, and she was a woman on top of all that. Because some of the other most powerful people in Europe at the time were female rulers, such as Empress Maria Theresa of the Habsburgs. Does her reign get a bit overhyped? Was she more or less a continuation of past trends that would continue to be iterated upon after her death? Yeah, but she's still a bit worthy of being recognized as one of Russia's greatest rulers. Catherine passed away in 1796 from a stroke. She was succeeded by her son, Emperor Paul I. Paul was actually very anti-Catherine, and the entirety of his reign was essentially him trying to escape from her shadow. Really though, the only major piece of law he passed was one that made it so the Russian throne could only pass to the oldest son of the emperor, unless that emperor didn't have any sons. And like basically every other male Russian ruler before him, Paul was assassinated only after just a few years into his reign for his pro-German stances. So yeah, he was very much not Paul the Great. Also, on a last note, hey, maybe you noticed that a lot of Catherine's gains of Russian land in this episode were in fact in modern-day Ukraine. Maybe you thought that was kind of awkward to mention, considering the whole... everything? Well, I just wanted to say, obviously, any sort of war for control over another nation is unjust. I do not stand for the Russian occupation of Ukraine. Please support Ukraine. Just, yeah, wanted to get that out there. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, it's another dive into the sometimes blurry line of history and legend as we talk about one of the oldest names in human history. It's the story of one of the most ancient epic tales in all of human history and the mighty king who ruled over the Mesopotamian city of Uruk, Gilgamesh. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.